Well, it's pretty clear that Dan Lanning has got some real moxie on the recruiting trail. And he might not even be hitting his ceiling as a recruiter. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college, and when you enter promo code Locked On College, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. So lots to get to today, including Oregon getting another recruit and why I don't think Dan Lanning is necessarily at his peak as a recruiter at this point in time. Mateo Uyunglele, what could his first year look like and the future of the defensive backs for the Ducks. But I was thinking about this because a wonderful question was sent in. Yes, another question prompted me to think about Oregon football, which is why I appreciate you all so very much. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter anytime at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. DMs and mentions are wide open. That got me thinking about why Lanning has not yet hit his ceiling as a recruiter, even though this, this 2024 cycle, right? With the recent addition of Jack Wrestler, a three-star wideout from modern day high school, is now top five in the country for 2024. Long way to go. Long way to go. We've got more recruiting talk coming on tomorrow's show with Brian Smith. Talk about some names, break down some commitments, and talk about where it can go and all that sort of stuff. But when I think about Dan Lanning as a recruiter, I look at what he has established at this point in his tenure about what he is doing on the recruiting trail. And Brian has talked about this with me here on the show before, he is of the opinion, and I tend to think he's correct, that given Oregon's geographical location and the lack of consistent blue chip, high caliber talent that exists in the state of Oregon, in order to recruit well to Eugene, you have to be an absolute grinder. And Mario Cristobal was, and Dan Lanning is. And we are seeing this success that started all the way back in the 2022 class. Landing Josh Connerly, getting a top 25 class, keeping guys from entering the portal at that time. Some of them ended up entering the portal after this past season, Seven McGee and Sean Dollars, but still keeping guys around, getting new commits. And then you look at the 2023 class, a top 10 recruiting class, and right now they're top five. Again, a lot can change, but Oregon could go up, Oregon could go down depending on how the summer kind of goes on the recruiting front. But when I think about Dan Lanning, what he can accomplish as a recruiter, he is doing all of this, getting blue chip recruits, getting five stars, getting big time defensive linemen, bringing in the sorts of players that he wants to build the program in his vision and doing so at a high level according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings, historically a very good way of measuring how talented your team is, he's doing all of that off the heels of a 10-3 and season in which Oregon didn't appear in a Pac-12 championship game. Now, you can recruit well 
and not have the on-field results to match that level of recruiting. <clears throat> a couple schools, two of them in Texas come to mind, including Texas and Texas A&M. They have recruited at a very high level and continue to do so, even though their on-field results are not all that impressive. And Oregon in year one had a good year under Dan Lanning. Was it perfect? No. We got blasted by Georgia and had two embarrassing collapses against Oregon State and Washington and didn't make the Pac-12 championship game. Did not even play for a conference title. And this is where the recruiting is at. Now, you don't have to, it, it's a chicken or the egg problem. My housemate actually mentioned this the other day. Do you get good players and then win games or do you win games and get good players? The answer is it's both. Because recruiting is about relationships. And, and, and it's important to remember that you can recruit well, even if you don't have a great season, if you are a brand, if you will have money, if you have maybe some history of winning. But it's about how you establish relationships with those individual kids. Whether or not you can sell them, not just on your program, or in Dan Lanning's case, a program, but whether or not you can sell them on the school, whether or not you can sell them now on NIL, whether or not you can sell them on playing time with their position coach, all this stuff factors into whether or not a kid is going to end up committing to your school. So when you look at the way that Oregon is recruited this year, they are capitalizing off of the recruiting potential that we saw under Mario Cristobal, for sure. They're, they're capitalizing off of having a good season, in 2022. They're capitalizing off the fact that they have money as a university. They have NIL collectives, and that is an option that's being afforded to student athletes and is a very real pitch that they can make to kids. But there's still another bargaining chip to get on recruits' radars, to get them to commit that Lanning hasn't been able to sell yet. And this is why I think his recruiting potential is even higher than it is right now and the staff and the way it's constructed. What if Oregon gets to the college football playoff? What if they go to a national championship game? Not necessarily win, but what does that do for how recruits across the country view the program? What does that do for the likelihood that you can get after the number one offensive tackle and the number one defensive end and the number one corner in a given cycle? I can't think it does anything except help your chances. Again, you don't have to win at a high level to recruit at a high level. But there is a little bit of a cycle here in which it's set up the sport of college football to have a dynasty the way that Alabama has done and the way that Georgia kind of looks right now and the way Clemson was for a little while because you win at a high level and that's where all the best players want to go. So Oregon is getting a lot of the best players from the high school ranks, and they haven't won at the highest level yet. And I think that's pretty amazing. And, th and this question came in from Ryan, by the way. Again, at Locked on Ducks or at Smalls underscore 55, DMs and mentions wide open. The mailbag is absolutely loaded. That's, how, that's part of how we're going to keep bringing you uh, daily content here all throughout the summer leading up to September 2nd. My goodness, I cannot wait. Ryan uh, said, what up, what up, Spencer? What up, what up, Ryan? One thing I've been wondering, if Dan Lanning needs A or some Pac-12 championship wins under his belt to help get those blue chip recruits for future seasons. 
Also, I noticed Martin Van Buren is reaching out to recruits as well. I think it was Davian Sims' Twitter post that Martin Van Buren commented with, or Sims, and I don't know if that was Davian, I put that in myself, with uh, come home, brother. Do you think that is added benefits at helping with recruiting for Oregon and needing more like-minded players that like that being recruited? So recruiting is very much a team effort right? It's a team effort as a staff, but players do it a little. Now, I, I think sometimes it gets overblown a touch in, in terms of, you know, you get a guy to commit and then other people follow suit. It happens for sure, but Oregon's kind of been an exception to that rule. Bird dogs are the exception to the fact that not all shorts are comfortable in the summertime, but they make you look good. They make you feel good and they can go anywhere with you this summer. Whether you're going on a hike, a date, a round of golf, a walk, a swim, a stroll, a hangout, a barbecue, whatever you want, bird dogs are there to make you look good and feel good too. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better, which is why you should go check them out. They fit way better than regular shorts, too, that are made of the stiff, restricting cotton. Bird dogs aren't like that. They are flexible. They're stretchy. They are comfy. So go get your next pair at birddogs.com. Slash Locked On College. Enter promo code Locked On College for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash Locked On College for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off this summer. We promise you. There it is. It's the second segment sip, which means we are locked and loaded to keep going on today's show. Still plenty to get to. Now, Oregon has been an exception to the rule of, well, you get a quarterback and then a bunch of guys commit. We've now seen in each of the last two recruiting cycles, the quarterback has been one of the last pieces. It doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, some recruiting that goes on of, hey, come to this school or, hey, you know, do this sort of stuff. And they lobby them publicly or behind the scenes. I'm not here saying that that doesn't happen, but the Arch Manning effect, I, I, from what I've seen, at least for the Ducks, is more of an outlier than it is the actual rule. Because Arch Manning committed to Texas, and then there was a wave of commits that followed to the Longhorns. Oregon has had skill position players committed for a while. And in the 2023 class, they had skill position players of a high caliber long before Dante Moore committed, and then, of course, flipped and Austin Ovisad came in, those guys, the Jurion Dickies of the world, they were all committed prior. Dante Dowdell, right? Jaden Lamar was, was, was a later guy in that class for sure. But if you go look at Oregon's uh, 2023 class, and I'm going to call on my memory here as, as best I can, Kenyon Sadiq signed before uh, Dante Moore, if memory serves. Dante Dowdell, I believe was also before Dante Moore. You know, they weren't necessarily following him. Ashton Cozart, uh, I think Lamar was was a little bit later in in that class and in the cycle and whatnot. But Jurion Dickey has been committed to Oregon for a long, long time. And look, it's a very defensive, heavy class in the 2023 cycle. So maybe that's a part of it. But as you look at what if you look at what Oregon's doing right now in the 2024 class, the quarterback commits Luke Moga and Michael Van Buren. They came well after Jordan Anderson, the wide receiver, four-star, who's the third highest-rated recruit in Oregon's 2024 class. They both came after Tysier Denmark, who's a four-star wideout from Philadelphia, coming to the Ducks in the 2024 cycle as well. So 
that I think has been something that to me gets overblown a hair. Again, not saying it can't happen, just that it's 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 not always playing out like that. And going back to your question here, Ryan, I, I, I kind of answered it earlier, but just so you have, you know, a very clear response, I, I definitely think that the recruiting can take a step forward if Lanning starts winning Pac-12 championships. That's not automatically going to happen, but I do feel that that's something that can be another feather in the cap of Dan Lanning's recruiting potential, and I'm excited to see where that goes. Hopefully, we we get to see where, where that can go because that would mean Oregon's back to winning the Pac-12 championship, which they have not done since 2019, but good question. So, uh, let's move on here. Skirt Mayo, 1563. What a name. I mean, what a name. He says, crazy prediction. This is only half crazy, by the way. Mateo Uyunglele gets 10 or more sacks next season and wins Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. Which of those two things sounds crazy and which of those two things is not crazy? In my view, having 10 or more sacks... Eh, that'd be pretty crazy for a true freshman. However, winning freshman of the year, not crazy at all. When I watched Mateo in the spring game, I saw a guy who was explosive, who is physically ready, who is the caliber of recruit that should be able to come to your campus and contribute right away. He's at a position of need in which Oregon does not have the most depth in the world. It's not like cornerback where they've got, you know, 40 guys in the room, it seems sometimes, that you could foresee as being a starting caliber player. You lost your best player at the edge position from a season ago, DJ Johnson, who led your team in sacks. So he's going to have the opportunity to play. He's got the potential. He looks like he's ready to maximize that sort of potential. And look, Mace Foon has been a good player for many years for the Ducks. And I think will be again this year at the edge position. But if Mateo starts to really shine, Funa has not been a dominant player. He's been solid, right? He's just been a really, really solid player. Makes an impact play every now and then, can disappear in stretches of the game. That's a typical standard run-of-the-mill defensive player for, for any Power 5 college football team. He has not been, I would love for him to become the sort of guy who, you know, you can't take off the field in certain moments. But Mateo, I think, athletically, his physical profile is just different. And so given all of those factors and the opportunity that is going to be presented to him unquestionably this season, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility he can win freshman of the year. Because if Oregon's defensive line shapes out the way that that I get the sense it will, which is Brandon Dorless and Casey Rogers on the interior. Jordan Birch is one of your edge players, and your other one is a revolving door kind of of Mateo and Mace Funa might depend on, you know, situations. Mace is a little stronger against the run than he is getting after the quarterback. He was a Holiday Bowl MVP, though, so it's not as if he can't do that. I'm just saying from what I've seen from him over the years, he is, I, I think, a better run stuffer than a pass rusher. Mateo, I think, has the potential to be a good run stuffer and a great pass rusher. I mean, his twitchiness, athleticism, and just comfort level that he displayed performing in the spring game, I, I was really, really impressed there. So if that's Oregon's you know, four starting defensive linemen. You'll rotate a lot of guys in there. That's why you got to have depth, as we always talk about, and everybody knows. 
If those are your four defensive linemen, right, revolving door with Birch, Dorless, and Rodgers, that provides the opportunity that if Mateo pops the way I think he can, and if he has a dominant freshman season, winning freshman of the year in the Pac-12 is 100% in play. Doesn't mean there won't be other great freshmen there, but when you're talking about winning you know, a freshman of the year, you need to be at a position that gets a lot of attention. And in today's world of football, the most coveted positions are quarterback, I think receiver, and pass rusher. Those are the players who garner the money. doesn't mean other players can't be dominant at certain positions and then pop in a way that allows them to get those sorts of, of awards and whatnot. But if you are a dominant pass rusher, that's someone who can affect the game in a way that when coaches and media members are deciding, okay, who is the best freshman in in the Pac-12 this year? Mateo could absolutely be in that conversation. Now, he's got to prove it. He's got to show it. He's got to earn the snaps over Mace Funa. He has to have the production, not just against Oregon's guys, but against you know every opponent that Oregon plays this season. And he has to shine particularly in conference play. But 10 sacks... That's a crazy prediction. Freshman of the year, I don't think out of the realm of possibility. And and this popped into my mind, by the way. I'd be remiss if I did not shout out. One of my dad's best friends, or my dad's best friend, is uh, a guy by the name of Mike Walter, who you can look up, had quite the career, not just with the Ducks, but in the NFL. I've known him my my entire life, and he's he's a super awesome guy. And he played football for the Ducks back in the, oh, that would have been in, in the 1980s or so. He played for Rich Brooks. And... You know, you threw out, oh, Mateo will have 10 sacks in a season. Mike Walter, I am not kidding, once had 10 sacks in a single football game. Speed kills, man. He was fast. Uh, Really good golfer nowadays as well. And and a really, really good guy. But I saw the 10 sacks thing, and that's where my mind went. And I thought you might be interested to know that that little tidbit there. All right, next thing. This uh, question from Gabriel. Here's a question. Without aid of Portal and Johnson going pro, that's Tyshin Johnson, name starting safeties and nickel for the 2024-25 season. Losing a lot there next season. Heavy Portal prediction here. I'm with you that Portal could definitely be an option for the Ducks because a lot of guys in the safeties room are about to be out of eligibility. Evan Williams, Brian Addison, uh, keep going down the list. Tysheem Johnson could go pro. I, I, I would suspect, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens this year. I, I think it's kind of hard to know there. Steve Stevens, out of eligibility. So those are three of your most experienced players in that position group, and none of them are able to come back. So the safeties who could return for the Ducks in, uh, in 2024 go as follows. Tysheem Johnson... Damon David, Tyler Turner, four-star freshman from the 2023 class, Cody DeCambra, another four-star from the 2023 class, J.J. Greenfield, Solomon Davis, Davis, a three-star guy from uh, the 2023 cycle as well, Bryce Betcher. I don't believe I'm missing anybody there. If I had to guess who you're starting you know, two safeties and nickel would be, I think your nickel 
would probably be Cole Martin. It, and, and again, this is if he's he's asking, you know, what would it be without Portal? Because Portal seems like it would be an option there, right? The odds that both Tyler Turner and Cody DeCambra are are ready to be big time contributors next season, not particularly high. Not impossible though. I mean, we'll see if either of them see the field this year. I don't expect them to, but we'll see what happens with those two. But I think it's a pretty fair assumption when you look at how recruiting classes work out that you got a pair of four-star guys at the same position in the same class. Odds are only one of them will become a regular contributor. I don't know who that would be. You know, DeCambra almost had a great interception in the spring game. We'll, we'll see what Tyler Turner can do and whatnot. But I, I feel like with those guys there, J.J. Greenfield would be a name uh, uh, to watch for sure. It's just not very deep, right? <laughs> like, you know, Bryce Betcher doubling as a baseball player for for the Ducks. I mean, he looked he looked great in the spring game. My goodness, he he looked uh, just a- absolutely phenomenal out there. And you know, I was shouting him out after the spring game, saying, "Gee whiz, are are, are we sure that this guy is, you know, baseball only? Are we sure that this guy can't can't be on the field because it ca- kind of seems." Like he's like he's making a lot of plays now. Another potential option for for the Ducks at at the safety or or nickel position, might I remind you, is putting a guy like Jaleel Florence at the nickel slot. I could see it. I don't think you would move him to you know strong safety or or free safety necessarily, but that nickel position. You can go a lot of different ways there. Have more of a cornerback, have more of a safety, have a guy who's who's somewhere in between. I don't know. I like I, I don't know where they would go in that direction. But we do see sub packages, and we did this past year in the four two five scheme where you had three corners on the field at the same time. So that's why I mentioned Cole Martin, because boy, I don't know if there's, you know, enough room on the depth chart, especially with the addition of Nico Reed. Uh, from Colorado to, you know, put to, to to put Cole Martin on the field significantly this year. But man, he just looked so ready to contribute that it's hard to see how he wouldn't be a major player in in 2024 and maybe at least a small one uh this season you could also look out for a guy like kamari terrell who's who's got really really high end speed he was a three-star in the 2022 class maybe you know maybe he could work his way in there but i do think that that would be that'd be tricky but my my official prediction of the starting three if we didn't add any transfers i would say cole martin is your nickel i would say <laughs> stuff. Uh JJ Greenfield is probably your free safety and one of Tyler Turner or Cody DeCambra is is probably your 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 strong safety there. But I think that's why it looks like that would be a position group that could see a transfer uh down the line. Um not impossible. Again, I'm not, you know, bailing on on some of these young guys getting time. Just the way that the portal works now and the way that you can find ready to play starters and not have to go through growing pains, you know, across the board with that position group. I, I think that uh, it, it's certainly an option there. So let's close with a question from my guy, Blazer Duck, who's fulfilling the first half of his name here with uh, this question. And look, this is a Ducks podcast, but 
A lot of you are Blazer fans out there. So I thought I'd answer this question because Blazer Duck thought it'd be interesting, and so would I. He asks an everydayer out there, guy as loyal as can be. Spencer, you don't have to answer this on your show. I'm going to anyway. But I was wondering what you think the Blazers should do with the third pick in the NBA draft. They have so many options and different directions they could go. Yeah, well, first of all, speaking of the Ducks and the Blazers, I would love so much if Jody Allen would sell the team to Phil Knight. I would love it so much. Like, John Canzano has been calling this for a while. I'm on board. I'm all in. Give me Phil Knight owning the Blazers. That's the first thing. Second thing here. My instinct is to say, I want you to package the number three pick, Anthony Simons, and maybe somebody else, and try to get a high-level wing. Something that Damian Lillard has never played with. And have your starting core for next year be Dame, Shaden Sharp, whoever that small forward is. <clears throat> Mikhail Bridges would be pretty cool. And there'd probably have to be some other moves that would have to be made. But my reaction there is kind of the problem. My hesitation. The more I think about it, the more I could see the Blazers trading Dame and going full rebuild. Get a bunch of picks, trade with a team like Miami or Oklahoma City, who I'd watch out for. Draft Scoot Henderson number three overall, because it looks like Brandon Miller is the team that Charlotte would, uh, would take at number two. That's what mock drafts have projected there. And look, I mean, it's painful to say that, but it's just becoming more and more clear that I don't know if you can build a championship team in the amount of prime years that Dame has left. It's getting tougher and tougher for me to see as I, you know, theorize this trade or that trade, getting this player or that player. I would love if they could get Paul George. I would love if they could get Mikael Bridges. I would love if they could get Jalen Brown, frankly, I think would be really, really interesting. But... I would like to build a championship team around Dame. I just don't know if they can. Unfortunately, I, I don't know if they can. I think that the Simons and Nurkic contracts before last season were awful. I, I said so at the time, and that has borne out to be true, unfortunately, and we're kind of stuck with them. So I don't like where the Blazers are at. I really don't. I wish I did, but I feel better about the Ducks and the Blazers today. Not a hot take. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And until tomorrow, go Ducks.